in the summers when we're grazing, Pete will ask, I don't understand why it takes you so long. And I said, I'll tell you why, because doing this job, I'm not, I'm going to be in the moment and I'm not going to miss a day where I don't just stop and lay down next to the cows and listen to them eat. You've tuned in to How It Looks From Here, life in the time of COVID. Life looks different to you than it does to me. The way race and gender, education and work and everyday circumstances combine in any person's experience. Well, it's different. For every person, how it looks matters. And with every interview, we're finding ourselves enriched. It's truly helping. I'm Mary Claire, and today I'm talking with Megan Lannon, a fourth-generation rancher in the Paradise Valley of Montana. Megan is passionate about the land and its beings, the ranch where she, her husband, and two children live and work, she acknowledges as Cheyenne and Crowland. This fact supports the family's natural pull to practices in support of restoring and sustaining the healthy thriving of soils, grasses, animals, and all other beings on the land they steward. Many of these practices are known as regenerative agriculture. In this episode, you'll hear how Megan draws on deep and direct land-based knowledge for living with the challenges and the opportunities of these times of COVID. Good morning, Megan. I'm getting to speak today with Megan Lannon, who is out in the Paradise Valley of Montana. Megan, it is so wonderful to have you with us for how it looks from here. Awesome. Thank you for asking. I was really, really excited. I want to ask you the question. In the morning when you get up and you step out into what is your career, what do you see? How does it look when you step out in the morning? Well, um, I have pretty much a 360 a degree view of the Paradise Valley, which is awesome. Um, Extremely uh, lucky, I would say for sure. When I step out on the front porch, um, I get a fantastic view of Immigrant Peak um, in all its glory. Depending on where the cows are at, I get to see the cows and see how they're doing. And if I step out my bedroom door, I get to look at the sheep and the goats. And if I step out our back door, um, I get just a just a quick little glimmer of the Yellowstone River. So it's far off in the distance, but if I try really hard, I can see it. So that's that's my 360. That's how it looks from there. Yeah, this is not everybody's experience who hears this podcast. Yes. As you can imagine. 
And uh, so I know that you are a fourth generation rancher. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Sure. Um, I am married to Pete Lannon and his parents, um, Kathy and Larry Jordan, own the Jordan Ranch where we lease the ground and graze. Uh, We are grazers on that uh, property. And his dad grew up there. And so I married into this fourth generation ranching family. Um, We ranch on uh, Crow and Cheyenne land. And so it's been pretty amazing to be able to carry on what his dad um, started and and ranch this land and it's it's an amazing amazing little spot well and so uh, explain to listeners what this this regenerative more and more people i think are hearing about regenerative agriculture but it's still pretty new to folks who aren't who don't live off the land could you say some about that sure Regenerative agriculture to Pete and I uh, is, is, we try to make it as simple as possible. Number one, in everything we do, we give more back to the land than we take. And what we mean by that is we don't spray things, add certain things to the land that are going to, to kill things. <laughs> um, we work uh, in, as close to in sync with nature as we can. Um, this this concept of regenerative ag isn't uh, anything newfangled. Indigenous people have been doing it, have been doing it. And so I think we're trying to really learn about what they're doing and their practices. But basically there are five principles that we try to follow with regenerative ag. And they are uh, no-till farming, which just basically means don't turn up the soil armor the soil, which is when we're grazing, we leave a lot more forage uh, than we take, and that's to protect those plants and to encourage growth. We add animals to the land, which they have hoof action, and then they're doing their business, manure and uh, adding urine, uh, adding nutrients to the land, and we move them constantly. People liken that to the way uh, ruminants used to move across the land before we put in fences and and got in the way. So we mimic that as close uh, as we can. We uh, calve in sync with nature, which means we've moved our calving date and we calve in the in the late spring to to mimic what what wildlife is doing. Another principle of regenerative ag is we are all about biodiversity. So that's in terms of plant species and animal species. We run cattle, but we also have pigs and sheep. Pete really wants to get chickens, so I'll keep you tuned in on that. (laughs) Um, And that's just so they're following and adding those nutrients into the soil so we don't have to add chemicals or, or spray unnecessarily. And the fifth one, I, I don't know why I always forget this one and I'm trying to find it. I think I hit all the ones we do, but those are, those are the main principles that we really try to follow and foster and in our agro ecosystem. Uh, we really try to be in that ecosystem. We try not to do to it. We're just a part of it. And how can we roll with the punches and see how we can still support that system. 
Yeah, we in full ecology, as you know, we've taken to calling that taking our right size, being right sized and being in the connection that sustains us all the time, stewarding out of, you know, profound kinship and gratitude. So, so as you speak of regenerative agriculture, am I understanding correctly that, that one of the things that catches the attention of climate scientists around regenerative agriculture is the efficiency with which carbon is sequestered in the roots of grasses. Is that correct? Yes. And so what happens when you combine all those principles together um, that I just mentioned, what you're doing is you're, you're taking that carbon down and feed the soil. So, and the microbes and, and then which in turn feed the plants because carbon's not bad. It's not a bad thing. It just depends on where it goes. So if you're not doing these regenerative principles, the carbon goes up, which is, that's the problem. So what we're trying to do is just keep that system healthy. And by moving the animals, by, by their nutrients that they're putting down, by armoring the soil, it's allowing, it's fostering all that to happen like it's supposed to. When you have your cattle and your grazing to bare soil, um, and you've basically made it just a, a hard pack. The water can't get in, so that, of course, you know, without even saying causes a problem. The plants aren't getting water. And just everything that the soil and the plants need uh, to draw that carbon down just goes straight up in the air. And so it's it's almost making like this kind of crazy force field. So when you're growing the grass and you've got that armor on the soil, which means you've, you've got that grass covering, um, providing cover so it can keep all the moisture and the nutrients and allowing all those little uh, microbes to do what they need to do to just keep that going. You're just drawing that carbon down. It's, it's, it's awesome. So if I'm understanding right, you're saying that this is really kind of teaching or encouraging the cattle to behave in ways that they're um, relatives, I'm guessing, the the bison behaved when they were wandering the prairies of Montana and the Paradise Valley. Yes. Yep. That's exactly, you know, when we first started doing this, we had to basically, I wouldn't say train, but encourage that herd instinct with our cows. And it's so much fun to watch them function together. We move them every day. And so we have, we have, leases that are irrigated, which means we have um, pivot and wheel line water, which allows us to really keep that moisture down so we can move those cattle every day across those pastures. Then we have non-irrigated, which we move them as well um, every day. We just don't have the water that just comes naturally up there. But the cows, when they move as a herd, when we let them into a new paddock, a new section, we call them, they come, we move them in, but they, they move up that area together and then they move back and they work that area like that for as long as we have them in that paddock. And just kind of as if they're choreographed or by instinct or a little of both? It's, it's competition. They, when you turn cattle out into a huge area, they're going to go for what Pete always explains is like the cupcakes and the Twinkies and all the really yummy stuff first and foremost, and then just keep going back to that. But when you put them in an area where they have to compete, they're, they're eating the thistle uh, that most of the times when they're out 
in a large area, they'll just skip that. But if they're encouraged <laughs> that they have to eat that to maintain, they will eat that and they eat everything almost evenly. And what I always, when I give a tour, I always talk about what we want it to look like is a really bad haircut. You don't want that piece, that paddock to look like you just mowed it with your lawnmower. That's not the goal. It's supposed to be, you know, they took everything evenly in terms of there weren't, they had no choices. They just ate it because they had to and they did that as a herd and then they moved on. Yeah. And the amount of manure that they leave is really key too. And I always joke, you know, we don't read tea leaves, we read poop. <laughs> so when they move out of there, we want a lot. Yeah. And then we want a lot of dung beetles in there. Okay. Because that builds the soil. Builds the soil. And they have a very, a very special job. Those dung beetles will work that manure. They will take it down into the ground. And while they're doing that, they're building tunnels. And then I almost think of them as, um, oh, like little delivery trucks are taking that down and they're you know, putting it here and putting it there. And then the certain microbes pick that up and then they take it to certain ends of the plants. And then it's, it's like a full on ocean of biology down there. It is insane. Everything that's going on in the soil. It's really fascinating. That's cool. So the tag we've put after the name of this podcast, how it looks from here is life in the time of COVID. And as, as you know, Everybody sees the experience of COVID differently. And because we're isolated from each other, especially, we don't get to compare notes. Given that introduction and the wonderful stuff that you've done describing regenerative agriculture and the practices on your ranch, how's it been with COVID? You know, what's that been like for you? Well, um, I, I don't know. I. I try to see the opportunity in everything. And so I think for us and how we're ranching and how we're trying to provide quality food um, and really get out there about what we're doing and, and what that means and, and how that feels, uh, not just for us, but for our community. Um, I think COVID has really presented the opportunity to be able to share our story and how we're ranching and, and again, what that looks like and what it feels like um, and how people just really need to pay attention to where their food comes from. But I think what was shocking when folks went into certain stores, the meat shelves, the meat cases were empty. And it was like, whoa, I would not seen that in my lifetime. Now my parents have, or their parents had, right? Um, World War II that they had seen that and they had to ration and, and we we know that story but for me uh it was just like okay here we go i, I really want to make sure that that people know that we're doing this and we have them in in the forefront we have beef at uh, livingston food works and then woods rose market so that's one place that people just want to go grab you know a pound of burger or a steak um, and I speak for a lot of ranchers, um, town and country in Livingston is awesome about carrying local lamb and burger and it's possible to get, um, the price point is a little bit more, but even with COVID when the meat cases were empty, the, the price, the prices weren't that far apart. <laughs> it was pretty surprising. Uh, 
you just had to walk, you know, a town and country, just the main meat case and just walk to the right of the other meat cases. And it's, it's an end cap freezer, but there was local meat in there. And then also it was just really advertising to folks on social media about, yes, we have meat and how can I deliver it to you? So it was, it was fun. We had some customers that we'd never had before and I would run and meet someone in the target parking lot (laughs) and do a meat exchange, uh, or the Ace parking lot here in Livingston. And I knew that just across the state of Montana, a lot of ranchers were doing that. So they were, why don't we just do direct to consumer? And I was like, that's great. Let's do that. Let's feed Montana. Like, like we can do this. So let me, let me locate this in time. You and I are talking early in January of 2021. And, um, this first started shifting pretty quick. Was it March or April when you started seeing this? Yep. Yep. It was like March or April. I think I put up an Instagram post. I took a picture at one of the grocery stores where the meat case was empty. And I yeah put up a picture. I was like, hey, don't worry, you guys. We've got this. We've got you. Mm-hmm. Um, all these ranchers, you can find them on social media. Western S- Sustainability Exchange has a local food guide that we put out. Please connect to these folks if you can't find protein. And so that happened, yeah, right about that time. And I can't speak for farmers because I'm, I'm not, I don't produce vegetables or fruit, but I can say for protein, that's what COVID provided for a lot of other producers to get into the game of feeding their communities and feeding their regions and feeding their states and feeding beyond. Then entered another problem. <laughs> And that was processing. You had small and mid processors that were just locked because everybody was going to um, do direct to consumer processing. So then there, there's been like a ripple in the supply chain. I, I work for Western Sustainability Exchange. So being a rancher and understanding this issue, but being able to work on this issue about how can we help processors do you know do their job to the best of their ability we went around and asked them you know what would you need how can we support you and it what came up and generally always comes up was first workforce because they were starting to add double shifts people were wearing out they're you know looking at succession planning and how can we get more entrepreneurs to open up shop i mean it really exposed the supply chain and the issues that we have and it was like bah how can we help locally and regionally um, with these two organizations to keep this going. Cause I would love to, this whole local protein deal to keep going so we can f- feed our community and, and they know us, they know our ranchers and getting back to that intimate connection with we're feeding our community. This is Mary Claire and how it looks from here. Stay with us. We'll be back after this brief break. the meat disappeared that was being supplied by big processors and big ag, let's say, and you put the note up in Livingston, don't worry, we're here. That 
increase the need for meat processing. So one of the concepts from full ecology again is that we humans need to attend to our social ecologies. And those are the ecologies between us and also within us in our little individual lives. But what you were describing just now is the way ecologically this COVID thing through the ecology of processors and meat producers into a collaboration, an active collaboration and communication that you're still in. And, and so the, that's part of the organic process kind of showing up in the way we do best as human beings. No, it totally does. I think that it really allowed that relationship to get stronger. I, I feel like Oh, yeah, before COVID, the processor, they do their job, you know, but it was never a conversation about, I mean, some of them were so exhausted and they just wanted to serve their customer like we were trying to serve our customer. It didn't make sense to get mad at them. It was like, okay, well, we've we've raised this product. Now, how can we help you? It just was really like the, like you're saying, the ecology of, we're, we all need to chip in. We're all in this together. How can we make this easier on you so we can, you know, get what we need to get done, but you can get done what you need to get done. Well, shifting to another social ecology, I know that you are a mom and you've got these two fabulous human beings that are your children. I mean, certainly these children are being raised on the land, but What's it been like to be in COVID as a mom? I think as a mom, I uh, when we had to do remote learning, I wow quickly realized uh, how much teachers do. I knew they did a lot. Uh, my mother-in-law was a teacher, both my grandmothers. So, I mean, I got it. I got it, but I didn't get it. God, they worked their butts off. And I got to tell you, we go to a little country school and they were on it. They were up and running. The kids didn't miss a beat. Uh, and they they accomplished exactly just right on time, exactly what they need to do um, for their lessons and everything. But that was challenging. And I think the kids, you know, once I got the hang of it, was like, okay, this is, this is what we're in. I think that what they missed the most or what they missed the most then were their friends and understanding why they can't be with them. And, and, you know, they're, they've never complained about wearing a mask or understanding any of that. They've been really good about that. Their grandfather, um, had had cancer. So they, they just take that as, you know, this is what we do to, to not get him sick. So I think that that's really never been a, a thing, and I think because we live out of town, that we're—I wouldn't say we're trapped, but we're—we're we're working all the time, and so it—it it, it didn't really affect them as much as I think urban, like urban kids. I think because of everything that they're doing, I would imagine, you know, revolves around getting out, doing doing activities, but it just held them closer. Like, well, I'll just go ride my mountain bike, you know, down the hill, <laughs> or I'll go chase a goat. We never thought we'd be all the way into January, last January, you know. Just a, a quick story. We were um, at the feed store, and it was time for Liam to get chore boots because his feet are growing 
at a crazy rate. I can't even believe they're that big. I can't even believe he can walk. But, um, and he was trying his boots on and the, the gal that was there helping us, um, Liam was complaining about his mask. And I was like, you know, I get it, Liam. They're, you know, they're, it is what it is, you know. And she's like, you know, we just have to do our part. That's what I tell myself every day. We just got to do your part. And so I think he was like, oh, okay. So I, I think that that was good for him to hear that, yeah, nobody likes it. But until until something else comes out or news that we need to do something else, that's just sort of the way the way it is, you know. Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, interaction between the grow the meat growers and the processors. We always have the option to really slow down, if not stop. And COVID certainly has brought us to something of a stop, if not slow down, and to go, okay, where do I fit in this? Just like the woman at the store was saying to Liam, we all do our part, which is again, right-sized and very organic. You know, when we had the fantastic opportunity to learn from you guys and the eight master lessons, right, is this community always comes around um, and that is always a it's a huge deal for Pete and I um, to be a part of the community and I think that it just comes down to taking care of your community and, and whatever those rules are or I don't know if rules is the right word but animals do that all the time um, mother you know mother nature does that it's just something comes along and they figure out how to you know observe it digest it adapt it you know and, and evolve and I think that's what we're in right now. I, I think that, you know, will we wear a mask forever? I have no idea. I, I honestly have no idea. But we've just got to figure out how to keep adapting and keep moving because we're here. And caring for each other in the ways that we do. Hey, so as we're closing uh, our time here, what would you offer as... Um, kind of words of wisdom to the people who are listening um, for going forward in COVID, what can you offer from your life and your worldview? What, what I would offer, and this is probably just coming from definitely from the, the regenerative grazer in myself and, and raising these kids and this, in this world everything is an opportunity and there's got to be a way to take some of that pressure off and just really be in the moment I had a friend that was going through an extremely tough time she has a friend that her parents it doesn't look like they're gonna make it through COVID both of her best friends parents that she grew up with and so she's having a hard time dealing with that of course and i and she just was asking me i i just i don't know what i can do i said here's you need to go connect and this is something that i learned from from you two is and it sounds crazy in the winter but we don't have snow right now <laughs> but go put your feet in the ground go put your hands on a tree let let some of that natural world take some of that for you and and don't forget that 
that's what it's here for and that's what we're coming from. And we there's got to be a sense of this has got to come full circle. But if we're taking that all on and, and that's all just getting heavier and heavier, um, we, we've got to be able to, to give some of that energy back and, and where is that going to go? Um, I know that when in the summers when we're grazing, Pete will ask, I don't understand why it takes you so long. And I said, I'll tell you why. Because doing this job, I'm not, I'm going to be in the moment and I'm not going to miss a day where I don't just stop and lay down next to the cows and listen to them eat. And whenever I give a tour, I have people close their eyes and I'm like, listen to them working. That is your food working for you and doing an amazing job for this planet. And, you know, I always say it's not the cow, it's the how. But we've got to take those moments and just sit on your porch or somewhere in a park and listen to the ducks and close your eyes. Like, let that be, let that come back to you because... The more we separate from nature and the more we, the farther we get away from that, we're going to, it's just, it's not going to work. We've got to come back. We've got to reconnect. We've got to get our feet on the ground. And, um, that's, that would be my advice. That was a, that was a long answer. (laughs) That's lovely. Thank you so much, Megan. Really. Um, thank you for your work. Uh, thank you for the way you're raising your kids and it, and I so appreciate the way you reflect that each blade of grass out there and each really molecule of soil is working and working and working together for the well-being of the whole planet and all its beings do they have self-consciousness about that probably not but here we are a part of that and an expression of that so I really appreciate the way you're describing your life informed by the land and in in, our, in interaction with it. You're welcome. And th- thank you so much for having me. And just if anybody ever wants a tour, I know so many ranchers that would love to just take you out there and, and show you what's going on. What a just great way to go out there and, and get your hands in some soil. It's, it's awesome. Megan's comments about the eight master lessons are in reference to Gary Ferguson's recent book, The Eight Master Lessons of Nature, published by Penguin Random House. And a quick pitch, if you're liking what you're hearing here, make sure to subscribe and let's get these perspectives out there. Tell your friends and family, share a link right now with someone you know would enjoy learning how it looks from another point of view. Keep listening and be in touch. How It Looks From Here is an educational collaboration between Full Ecology and the System Zoo. How It Looks From Here was created and produced by me, Mary Claire, and Joe LaVisca. 
Editing by Joe and Doug LaVisca. Music by Cedar Mathers Wynn and Gary Ferguson. You can find us on social media at www.fullecology.com. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners, like you. Thank you.